This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Here we are again facing a new year, new opportunities, and I'm not talking about the national championship game next uh, Monday night. New challenges. Yeah, don't clap yet. (laughs) But we're facing a brand new year. And one of the things that I recognize as we face a new year is that we face a lot of uncertainty, don't we? Life is full of uncertainties. Life is full of unknowns. And it's been said that people fear what they don't understand and what they don't know and what they can't control. And there may be things that you're facing in your life even now. I've had conversations with people uh, over the last few months, people that are dealing with uncertainty in their lives, uncertain health situations. And that may be you today. You might have a situation going on in in your life or someone that you love and care about that's just uncertain in regard to health or uncertain job situation. Just talking to uh, someone yesterday about an uncertain job situation and trying to navigate through all of the uncertainty in regard to the future there. Maybe you're dealing with uncertainty in your finances. Maybe you're dealing with uncertainty in your marriage or in a relationship. The fact of the matter is when we encounter uncertainty in our lives, we typically fear the worst, don't we? When when we moved to Georgia back in the early 90s, our oldest son, Josh, was not quite two years old yet. And we had just moved here and we're getting settled and, and he had gone back to visit his grandparents in Texas. When we got a call, and it was Karen's mom on the other line saying, Um, we've noticed something going on with Josh's eye. Would it be okay if we took him to the doctor to get it checked out? Not thinking anything of it. We're like, sure, no big deal. Well, the next day we got a phone call saying, listen, you need to get to Texas quickly because they found a tumor the size of a golf ball on his retina. Here we are in Georgia. Our two-year-old son is in Texas with his grandparents and they say that surgery is imminent and necessary, and we don't know what's going to happen. And I I can just tell you, there was a wave of fear that came crashing over my heart during that time. I would love to tell you that, man, my heart was just full of faith. God's going to work. God's going to move. I believed that in my mind, but my emotions were telling me something completely different. There was tremendous fear. Now, by God's grace, God did allow him to get through the surgery, and he lost an eye, but he's 30 years old today and serving the Lord and actually uses that uh, story for God's glory. So God worked through that situation. But the fact of the matter is we tend to fear when circumstances that are uncertain come our way. Let me give you an example from scripture. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 14, we find the story of Jesus telling his disciples to get in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. Now, what Jesus knew that the disciples didn't is that he was getting ready to send them right into the middle of a storm, of a trial. 
Listen to what it says in verse 22. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And he went up on the mountainside to pray by himself. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, do not fear, take heart, it is I. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, what we see from this encounter is that anytime our gaze shifts away from Jesus and his sovereignty and his control, and it gets onto our circumstances, we'll be filled with fear and anxiety. So let me ask you again, are you facing an uncertain situation in your life? All of us are, because we don't know what anything that's certain, ultimately do we? But does that uncertainty feed fear and anxiety in you? Well, I've got good news for you today. I believe that God has a good word for us today. So in Psalm chapter 16, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. Psalm chapter 16, we're going to read some really good news. Some news that we need to hear, some news that we need to be reminded about so that as we face the uncertainties and the challenges and the trials of life, we understand who's in control. So let's look at this text together this morning. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent, excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall never be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. This morning, I want us to see four really important truths that can allow us to get our eyes off of our circumstances and onto the Lord and give us what our hearts ultimately are longing for. The first thing I want us to see in this text is this, that only God can give the security that your heart longs for. Look back at verse one again. The psalmist says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The NIV says it this way, keep me safe, my God. 
You see, we all have a need to feel safe and secure. Think about your children. When you go into a place with your kids, right, don't they always want to know where mommy and daddy are, right? Because we have that built within us to need to know that we're safe, to know that we are secure. But the fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is that we all deal with insecurity on some level. In fact, I'm looking this morning at a lot of insecure people. And I know I'm insecure myself, so I'm not judging you. I just know that we deal with insecurity on so many levels, don't we? What are some symptoms of insecurity? Let me give you three real quick. One is a fear of failure. A fear of failure reveals that you may deal with insecurity. Meaning you're not willing to put yourself out there. You're not willing to take a risk. You're not willing to do something that is outside of your comfort zone. One of the things I love about missions and taking people on mission trips is it pushes people outside of their comfort zone. But the reality is that's the only way that we can grow. And if we're always just trying to play it safe and not do anything that takes any risk or anything that would cause us to have to trust the Lord, then we're never going to grow in an intimate knowledge in Christ. So let me just challenge you. Maybe that's an area that you struggle with. Uh, Helen Keller once said, avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. And I couldn't agree with her more. Another symptom of insecurity is comparison. We measure our worth in relationship to those around us. Think about it. You ever find yourself comparing yourself to other people? Maybe in your job situation or maybe in intelligence or even looks. In fact, one of the ways that I think that we can find ourselves caught in the comparison trap is when we compare ourselves to others spiritually. You know, boy, he just knows so much more about the Bible than I do. We compare ourselves to other people and all that does is fuel that insecurity. A third symptom of insecurity is that we are controlling. We need to be in control of our environment. Uh, have you ever been around someone that's just in controlling person. They don't like anything to be out of place, anything out of order. We do that because we need to feel stable and secure. And so being controlling is actually a symptom of insecurity. The reality is that all of these symptoms point to the fact that our hearts long crave security. But the only real security that we can find is the security that only God can provide. Look again at verse 1. The psalmist says, preserve me, O God, for in you, in you, I take refuge. In you. And that word refuge is a really interesting word because it just means a strong tower or a high rock. It's a place of security and safety. So the psalmist is saying, I'm running to you, Lord, because you are my place of safety and security. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I was visiting my grandmother in North Louisiana and she lived out in the country and uh, I wanted to go fishing. So my brother-in-law and I decided we were going to go about a half mile down in the pasture to a pond and go fishing on a summer afternoon. And so we got down there, we're having a great time. And as you know how it is in the South, uh, afternoon thunderstorms just kind of spring up out of nowhere. And all of a sudden we're down there fishing and the clouds just get really, really dark. And I could hear thunder rumbling in the distance and lightning started to flash. We're like, man, we got to get out of here. And so we, because there were no trees. I mean, we were just open pasture. 
And so we took off running across this pasture with lightning flashing around us. And I'll never forget, I mean, I was crouched down as low as I could get thinking, I'm just going to get electrocuted. I'm going to get struck by lightning right out here in the middle of this pasture. But by God's grace, we were able to make it across the pasture and get to a barn and we were able to survive, thankfully. You know, we, we, we need that. We, we, we need to run to a place of safety. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 46, one through three. He says, God is our refuge and strength. Notice that God is our refuge, not people, not your circumstances, not your job, not your 401k. God is your refuge, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam through the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge. See, to trust God is the highest honor that we can give him. Let me say that again. To trust God is the highest honor you can give him. So whatever it is you're facing Whatever uncertainty, whatever fear it is that you're going through right now, remember, you can trust the Lord. He can be your strong tower. He wants to be your strong tower. And only God can give you the security that your heart is longing for. Not only that, back in Psalm 16, not only does God give us the security that our hearts long for, God gives us the satisfaction that our hearts long for. Notice verse 2. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. It's interesting there because the same word is used in English, Lord and Lord, in verse 2. But in the original language, in the Hebrew language, when he says, I say to the Lord, he says, Yahweh, which is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He said, I say to the Lord. The second time he uses the word Lord, he uses the Hebrew word Adonai which means master or boss. So in essence, what the psalmist here is, uh, is saying is that I say to my sovereign one, you are my king. You are my boss. You are the ruler of my life. And notice what he says in response to that. He says, I have no good apart from you. Underline or highlight that word good. Because what it means is this, it's that which gratifies or satisfies. So the psalmist here is not only recognizing his lack of inherent goodness in himself, he recognizes he's not worthy of the sovereign Lord, right? He's not worthy of God's protection, right? But he recognizes that he has no good, no satisfaction, no meaning apart from the Lord. In other words, the psalmist is saying, there is nothing good apart from you, ultimately. You see, you and I are designed to find our ultimate satisfaction in Christ. Let me say that again. You are designed by God to find your ultimate satisfaction in Christ. <clears throat> in fact, it was St. Augustine that said it this way. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. What a profound truth. Our hearts truly are restless, meaning they're always craving something else. Have you ever noticed that? We always want more. We want more money. We want more pleasure. We want more satisfaction. We want more acceptance. We want more meaning. 
The problem is, is that no matter how hard or how fast we run after these things, they won't satisfy. Why? Because they can't satisfy. And the psalmist tells us why in verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. In other words, these other gods are idols of the hearts that rob us of lasting and meaningful satisfaction in Christ. And so the psalmist here is saying that, that if you want to multiply your sorrows, if you want difficulty and pain in your life, then run after the idols of your heart. It's been said that our hearts truly are idol-making factories, and I think that's true. Because we're always looking for things, for people, for pleasure to satisfy us. So how do you know when something good in your life has become an idol in your heart? You ever thought about that? You know, we think, oh, I don't have idols. I don't worship, you know, statues and stone figurines and those kinds of things. You don't have to, right? Because idols can be other people. Idols can be possessions. Idols can be affirmation. Idols can be any number of things that we fixate on, that we put our attention on other than Christ to give our lives satisfaction. So how do we know when we've done that? Well, author Tim Keller made this statement in his book, Counterfeit Gods. Listen to this. He says, one way requires that you look at your imagination. It's been said that your religion is what you do with your solitude. In other words, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortless, effortlessly go to when nothing else is demanding your attention. What do you enjoy daydreaming about? Do you develop potential scenarios about career advancement or material items such as a dream home or a relationship with a particular person? He goes on to say, one or two dreams don't indicate idolatry, but ask rather, what do you habitually think about to get, uh, to get joy and comfort in the privacy of your heart? Meaning, what is it that we focus on that we think, man, if I just had this, then I would be satisfied. If I just had a relationship with that person, if I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a little bit nicer house, if I just drove a little bit nicer, then, and it doesn't work that way because we are never going to be satisfied by running after idols. And we do recognize those idols in our hearts. Listen, we just need to repent. We just need to recognize that, yes, my heart is prone to idolatry. Every single one of us is prone to idolatry. When we see those idols begin to creep up, and we begin to find that we're running after those things for satisfaction more than we're running to Christ, repent. And repentance is simply meaning that we're not just turning away from that thing, but we're rather we're turning to Christ. Meaning that we are finding greater satisfaction in Christ than we are other things. It's been said that the more you make Jesus the treasure of your heart, the less room there will be in your life for idols. And that's so true. The more Jesus becomes your focus, the more Jesus becomes your treasure, the less appeal those idols will have in your life. So only God can give you the satisfaction that your heart longs for. The third truth is this, only God can truly supply our needs. Look at verses five and six back in Psalm 16 once again. <clears throat> he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful 
inheritance. Notice the words that are used to describe all that we have been given, okay? He, he uses words like portion and cup and lot and lines and inheritance. What, what does all that mean? Cup and lot. I mean, that may not mean anything to you, but to a Jewish person, it meant a lot. Because when God promised his people, Israel, the promised land, one of the things that he promised them is that each tribe would get a certain amount of land as an inheritance, okay? And even within those tribes and families, that land would be subdivided and the firstborn son would actually get a double portion of land. And so the inheritance of land, the giving of land in Old Testament times meant that the blessing and provision and favor of God was upon a person's life. So it's of much significance, though, that all of the tribes of Israel were given allotments of land except for one. There was one tribe that was not given an allotment of land, and that was the Levite tribe. Those were the priests. Why weren't they given an allotment of land? Well, Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20 tells us exactly why. And listen to what it says here. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land. Neither shall you have any portion among them. Get this. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So God is saying to the priest, you're not going to get a physical allotment of land. Why? Because you have me. You have everything you need in me. So what's the significance of all this for you and I sitting in this room today in 2022? It means that as a child of God, you have everything you need. Listen, because you have God himself. Listen, child of God, you lack nothing. If you are a child of God and you belong to Christ, you lack nothing. Nothing, because you have God. But the reality is, we still struggle with discontentment, don't we? We find that kind of boiling up in our hearts from time to time, that sense of discontentment. In fact, we see it probably more this time of year than we do maybe at any other time of year. We spend too much, we eat and drink too much. We're lonelier than ever. <clears throat> it was the author, C.S. Lewis, that uh, wrote the book, The Screwtape Letters. And maybe some of you have read that, but the book is about a demon screw tape who is training his demon apprentice Wormwood. And he teaches Wormwood to distract Christians with a particular state of mind called Christianity and. Christianity and. Meaning, yes, you have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you're going to heaven when you die. But you need more. You need more for your satisfaction, for your pleasure. And so we get caught in this Christianity and like if we just have a little bit more, then we should be satisfied. The great English pastor, Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, you say, you say, if you had a little bit more, then I should be very satisfied. He said, you make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. That's so true. We need to be reminded today that Jesus is not simply enough for us. He's more than enough. 
listen to this. In fact, you might just want to turn there. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. This is so, so powerful. Listen to what God says to you today, child of God. I believe God wants you to hear this. And God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly. We want to run after all these things, Christianity and. But Paul's reminding us that God wants to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. You need to hear that today. I need to hear that today. All things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you really believe that God wants to bless you? Do you really believe that God wants to supply abundance to you? He does. He does. We need to ask God for the faith to really believe it and walk in that. He has supplied us everything that we need in Christ. So only God can give us the security our hearts long for, the satisfaction our hearts long for, the supply our hearts long for. But there's one more thing I want us to see in this text. Only God can truly sustain. Only God can truly sustain. Look back at Psalm 16 once again. Beginning in verse 8, he says some very important things here at the end of this psalm that I think we need to hear today. He says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon uh, uh, my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand our pleasures forevermore. Notice the posture of the psalmist here. Notice the posture of joy that is expressed. In verse nine, he says, my heart is glad. In verse nine, he says, my whole being rejoices. In verse nine, he says, my flesh dwells secure. In verse 11, he says, there are pleasures in your presence forevermore. The truth that we need to see here is that only God is the real sustainer of joy. And can I just tell you this? That's what you're looking for. When you're running after other things, your heart's just looking for joy. It's craving joy, right? So what is joy? What is true biblical joy? The Hebrew word for joy means an attitude of happiness, gladness, and delight. Does that describe your walk? Does that describe your life right now? Happiness and delight? It can be. It can be. But true joy, listen, is a response of our hearts and our lives to truth and not to our circumstances. Meaning that the more I understand what is true and I anchor my heart to what God says is true, my heart will respond with joy. As long as I'm looking at circumstances, as long as I'm looking at the fears and uncertainty in my life, I'm going to be unsettled. But the moment I keep my heart anchored in the truth of God, I can experience real joy from God. So notice the truth here in these latter verses that bring us joy. 
The first thing is this, God has given us abundant life. Look at verse 11. He says, the path of life, you've made known to me the path of life. What is the path of life? It's, it's referring to life that is full, life that is free, and life that is abundant. Jesus said it this way, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants us to experience abundant life. He doesn't want us just to experience life, but life to the full. Not only that, God's given us eternal life. He says in verse 11, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Meaning, meaning that if you and I know Christ, not only do we get to enjoy him right now and have the fullness of joy with him right now as we live in this world, in this life, but we get to enjoy the presence of God forever and ever and ever. So let me ask you, do you know him today? Is this your experience with the Lord? God wants it to be. Listen, you don't have to live a life full of fear and uncertainty and anxiety, weighed down day in and day out. God has so much more for you and me. And the way we do this, look at verse eight. I wanna close with this, verse eight in Psalm 16. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You know what the psalmist is saying right there? My gaze is fixed on Christ. My gaze, my focus, my heart is fixed on Christ. You see, if you want to live a life that's filled with security, a life that's filled with satisfaction, a life that's filled with God's supply and joy that is sustained for all eternity. You've got to set your focus on Christ. That's exactly what we've been studying as we've been going through this uh, study through the book of Hebrews, isn't it? Is that faith is a life that is focused on Christ, not our circumstances, not our fears, not the uncertainty of the future, but one that is set on Christ. And if the Lord is your focus, he'll give you the security that your heart longs for. He'll give you the satisfaction that nothing else in this life can give. He will supply you with everything that you need and he will sustain you with joy both now and forevermore. Now, I know I'm getting ahead because next week, Pastor Josh is gonna be back in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, but listen to what Hebrews 12, 2 says. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Looking to Jesus. You see, there's only one who has loved you enough to die for you, and his name is Jesus. Look to Jesus. Run to Jesus, rest in Jesus, and let Jesus give you what nothing else in this world could ever give. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. So we prepare to move into a time of invitation. <clears throat> I believe with all of my heart, God wanted me to speak this word to you today. I believe that God wanted to remind us that no matter how much we are tempted to run after other things, 
no matter how much we struggle with making lesser things, idols of our hearts, God still loves us. God still loves us. And God still offers us an opportunity to know him and to experience joy in him. He really does. And so this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation here in just a moment. And we'll have pastors and counselors up here at the front that you can come and pray with. You might just want to come and get on your knees here at the altar. And just confess, Lord, I've been running after other things. I've been running after other idols. And I just want to come before you today because I know you're the only one that can give the satisfaction that my heart longs for. So can I just plead with you today? Put your focus on Jesus. Set your gaze on him. Because every time we take our focus off of Jesus, what happened to Peter is what happens to us. We start to sink. We start to be filled with fear. We start to doubt. We start to go off course. But when we get our eyes on Jesus, he gives us the security and the satisfaction and the supply that our hearts desperately, desperately Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.